Okay, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Exodus. I'm going to talk to you about what good is it being a father. Now, don't miss the, the emphasis here. It is Father's Day, so don't crucify me because I'm going to talk about fathers. Some people want to be married and then be a father. Some people don't want to be fathers. That's okay. But you know what? I want to talk about how good it is being a dad. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. Exodus 20 and verse 12. Right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20 in verse 12. <clears throat> God seems to think it's pretty important being a dad and that we ought to honor and respect it. Exodus 20 verse 12 says, Honor thy father and thy mother. There's a promise that goes along with it, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. If you want to live long, honor, respect, listen to, and usually obey your parents. If you want to die young, do your own thing. I encourage the first. Now, what good is it being a father? Thanks. <laughs> He's not thinking it's good being a father right now out there right now, but I'm going to try to change that. What good is it being a father? It's much more than we normally think of when we think of fatherhood. You know, we live in a different age. My dad never changed a nappy. Uh, never would have thought it was possible for a male of the species to actually change a nappy. But, you know, we've sort of grown up, and I remember changing many thousands of them. Man, I wish I had invested in Pampers. <laughs> you know, when it came to people's, uh, uh, when there was a baby shower or whatever, what did Need and I usually do? We went and we bought a pile of nappies to give to them. It was a logical thing to do. But changing nappies, long nights, rocking children to sleep after mom has collapsed. <laughs> More than all the arguments and the battles over what a child is going to be allowed to wear and what it is not allowed to wear, what music they can listen to or what they can't, what, what, what kind of friends they're allowed to hang around with. No, those are all the negatives of, of parenting and fatherhood. But there are some things that make being a dad the greatest thing in the world. Now, I'm not trying to take away from being a mom because that's, that's superhuman, okay? But when it comes to being a dad... It's just as important. And as Eric was saying, if we continue in our culture to demean and mock fatherhood and manhood, and just dads in general, there will be one day no hope left for the future of families anywhere. You know, men and women today grow up, they don't even know what they're missing because dad's never been there. Mom's been angry. Uh, times have been rough, and they felt alone. And let me tell you, when you come and you tell them about Jesus Christ, you tell them about God the Father, they just can't conceive there was a better way, and that people have been away from God, and that we're reaping the consequences. I know there's a danger in preaching about being a father when some cannot be fathers. And some aren't even married and so desperately want to be. But fatherhood is something absolutely awesome. It is something honorable, it is something so needed, especially in our day and age. 
And I'm not finding perfect fatherhood in my Bible. Have you seen perfect fatherhood in your Bible? I don't find it there. But what I do find are real, true, blue, honest to goodness, manly, committed, faithful, passionate, and sacrificial fathers in the Bible. And all of their flaws, I find some amazing fathers in the Bible. Now, many a man is attempted to leave his mark on this world. Some have climbed to the highest mountains, planting a flag and a plaque with their name on it. I mean, think about a mountain called Mount Everest, named after a guy named Hillary Everest. People have crossed the South and the North Poles. People have placed footprints on the surface of the moon. They have built huge monuments to themselves. But one man named Abraham left a legacy that has outlasted all others. He left us the legacy of a godly father, of a man who had faith in a promise-keeping God. He left a legacy of a good name. Nobody thinks Abraham is an evil name, not like Judas. <laughs> Nobody, I haven't noted, noted anybody naming their kids Judas lately, have you? Okay, not even dogs are named Judas. But Abraham, he left a legacy of a good name and of a good God who uses men in spite of our failures. Being a dad, I, I came up all this week, I've been pondering what it meant to be a dad, and I wrote down some thoughts as I studied here. And first thought I want you to realize is that being a dad means this. Number one, leaving a legacy of being a father to your sons so that they want to be one too. That's what it means to be a dad. You just don't want to wing it and then your son's saying, that's not for me. Being a dad means leaving a legacy so that your son wants to be a dad one day too. So let's learn how to have a kind of legacy that, that, that works. First, we're going to pray again. I feel like praying. Father, I, I really, really ask you to meet our need this morning in a day when the state has taken over just about every responsibility. In a day when schools and society is doing what parents used to do. In a day when teenagers are growing up and have no anchor, no stability, I know they have a home, but there's something really missing, and that is a godly dad. Lord, can we please have some more godly dads? Can I please be a godly dad still? Even though my kids are all grown up and I got grandkids, Lord, I, I think Father's Day is awesome. Being a dad and a granddad is the best. I pray that we'd all decide that today, and we'd all get behind our dads in such a way it's not just, here's a card, Dad. Here's a tie, Dad, but here's my heart, Dad. Here's my help. Here's my respect. Here's my love. Lord, make us godly in our homes because of a simple message like this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, going back to Genesis chapter 17. I'll show you where this all began as I was reading and saying, Lord, how do I help dads today? Well, Genesis chapter 17, I love my Bible. I'm reading along in Genesis chapter 17. Now, it didn't begin there. Back in chapter 12, we find a guy named Abram. That was his real that was his name when he first started off, and God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. He was a 75-year-old young man who actually loved God. 
Now that's rare. It is rare back then because the culture back then was so against God. It was pagan, it was selfish, it was rebellious, it was evil. And Abraham decided to go different and to love God, to walk with God. And I find that that kind of relationship with God is still rare today. He married to a good woman named Sarai. Sarai was her name before it got changed to Sarah. The Bible doesn't tell us how long they've been married, but at this point, after many years of being married, she's 65, he's 75, they've been hoping for children, and it ain't happened. Now, what happens here? Now, I said, uh, go to Genesis chapter 17. Let me go back, and let me take you to Genesis chapter 11, verse 29. Genesis eleven twenty-nine. 29. Abram and... Nahor took them wives, and the name of Abraham, Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. Well, chapter 15, go to the forward, and let me show you a real clear scripture. Chapter 15, verse 6, a, a, a promise is made to Abraham, and Abraham decides, I guess I'll believe it. Chapter 15, verse 5, says, He, God, brought him forth abroad, took him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and tell me the stars. Tell me how many, add them all up, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. We'd say, So shall all your children be. Now, I imagine he didn't quite go run off his wife and say, uh, Honey, we're going to have as many children as those stars, okay? But look at verse 6. And he believed in the Lord. And it was counted to him for righteousness. It changed his heart to just believe God. And, you know, I, when the Bible says he believed in the Lord, it means it. He had a confidence that whatever God promised, he'll do it. And so Abraham is honored by God because of his confidence in God, because of his passionate trust in God. And he gave him some incredible promises. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to try to summarize just one big thought with a couple of truths this morning. And when you study Abraham, you're studying a lot of the Bible. But we're just going to stay here and uh, in, in a few chapters here in Genesis. But chapter 12, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, leave Ur. And from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. I want, to, I want to take you to a land you've never been to before. Verse 2, and I will make of thee a great nation. Now he and his wife are two. How do you make a great nation with just two? And he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and I'll bless thee. And I'll make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, stuck in there, he says, I'm going to give you a lot of kids. Now, Abraham didn't understand that. How is he going to be a nation? He doesn't have any children. But I know this. God was honoring Abram's passionate, simple faith. And he gave him. He said, I'm going to give you all this land. Wherever your feet are walking is going to be yours. And uh, that land is still theirs, by the way. It doesn't belong to the Palestinians. It doesn't belong to the Egyptians. It doesn't belong to the, to the Jordanians. It belongs to Abraham. Gave him great honor and wealth. He gave him great protection from his enemies. But most of all, go to chapter 17 now. I'll show you where, where the message begins. Chapter 17. 
One, two, three, four. And I want to stop here right in the middle of a verse and let you see something that jumped out at me. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine. <laughs> I like how the Bible just tacks that on. So he's 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk thou before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee. I'll give you children exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant was with thee, Abraham. And watch these words. And thou shalt be a what? Just stop there. You're going to be a daddy. Now he's going to be a father of many nations, but just can you imagine he's saying to him, You're going to be a father. Now to Abraham, this was impossible. Usually it's very easy to make a child. They're usually referred to as unwanted pregnancies. <laughs> but having children is not always possible. Some people can't. And Abram and Sarai were part of the few who couldn't. So Abram and Sarah just couldn't believe it when God promised, you're going to be a father. And go down to chapter, still in chapter 17, look at verse 17. Then, now he's hearing all this in verse 17 that Abraham fell upon his face and what did he do? <laughs> Who's he laughing at? God. No, he's not laughing at himself. He's laughing at God. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? So what's Abraham doing? He's laughing. Look at chapter 18 and verse 12. Just one page over. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, my husband, being old also? The Lord said unto Abraham, I think this is cute. Imagine, here is Abraham talking to God. All right? Don't figure it out. Just believe it, okay? And Sarah's over here, and she's, she's like listening in on this conversation. And Abraham's saying, I'm going to be a father. And Sarah's over there going, <laughs> right. And she's laughing at herself. And then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Wow. Look at it. Wherefore didst thou, did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I of a surety bear a child when I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life in nine months. And Sarah shall have a son. Then what does Sarah do? Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not. <laughs> For she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I think there's going to be a lot of shock in heaven when we're going to realize how much we've laughed at God. And we didn't trust his word. We didn't trust his promises. But that's okay. <clears throat> there it was. A promise that Abraham decided to go ahead and just try to simply believe because of who promised it, not because of his own ability. And by the way, it came to pass. Look at chapter 21, verse 1. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 1. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said he would. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac, just as God promised. Now, I want to take these 
these background here and give you five or six truths about being a father, greatness of being a father. Number one, what good is it being a father? It is a lot of fun. There, look at chapter 21 and verse 6. Look at chapter 21 and verse 6. Sarah's holding this baby in her hands, and she looks down at that child, and then she looks up to heaven, and Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that will hear me will laugh with me. Now, she had been laughing at God. Now she's going, woo-hoo! She's laughing with God. Think about the laughter that was in their home. Every time, you, you know what Isaac means, don't you? It means laughter. So every time they're calling Isaac in from playing, he says, laughter! Oh, <laughs> how stupid was I to not trust God? Laughter, come on in. How do you have a sad home when people have such positive names? Can you imagine? Now, it's nice when my wife calls me sweetheart. That's really nice. When she just says, Craig, I know I'm in trouble, and out the window. <laughs> Can you imagine having a child and saying, laughter, I am so mad at you. <laughs> it's just hard, amen. Can you imagine the laughter in their home? I like thinking about an 89-year-old Sarah finding out she's pregnant and she's battling morning sickness. And I could just see Abraham go, <laughs> And then when she's really pregnant, she's waddling when she's walking pregnant. I mean, they're having the time of their life. And can you imagine them sitting there at 9 o'clock at night and she's thinking, I want ice cream with pickles. You laugh at stuff because, you know, uh, it's wonderful being a dad. As a matter of fact, it's wonderful being a granddad, reliving all of these memories. Imagine the joy of holding that baby in their arms. The tickle times are the best. The cuddles the funny faces, the coaching to walk their first steps, the hide-and-seek games, the rolling in the grass, the first knock-knock jokes, and even those first dad jokes. You know, kids don't know how bad dad jokes are, don't they? Do they? So two peanuts are walking down the street. Unfortunately, one of them was assaulted. Did you hear the news? FedEx and UPS are merging. They're going to go by the name now Fed Up. Mom says, how do I look? Dad says, with your eyes. <laughs> what did the horse say after it tripped? Help, I've fallen and I can't giddy up. <laughs> Do you know, some of you love those. But you know what a kid, a six-year-old loves, thinks that dad's the best comedian in the world, amen? Think about the constant hugging and kissing mom in the kitchen in front of Junior. And he's going, ah, ah. But in his heart, he's going, yes, yes. That's love. Think about the joy. I have the most fun with, with my kids and now my grandkids building forts in our family room. We have these tall backed chairs around our dining room table. And sometimes when Ma, grandma is gone, we, we go get a big couple of blankets and lay them all down. We get the torches and we sit in there. We look outside. Is a dragon here? Get your sword in case he comes. Yes following the leader on adventures in the park, searching for dragons and dinosaurs and lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Being a dad is awesome fun. By the way, I, I <laughs> this is the truth. 
This is what dad is doing. He's just throwing them like a foot up in the air. Now the kid thinks he's going into orbit, but mom sees he's never coming back, okay? <laughs> I have to tell you, my wife knows a story where I actually got close to this one. I picked up a little kid named Domingo. He was a friend, he was the son of a friend of ours who's also going to be a missionary. And I ran up to Domingo. Domingo weighed all of three kilos. And he was like eight years old. He was, he was amazingly lightweight. And I ran up to him, and we always would joke. So I went up, ran up, and I literally, not knowing how strong I was and how masculine, <laughs> how incredibly uh, athletic I was, I picked him up and whew! <laughs> he stayed up there, man. <laughs> wow. And that kid was going, wow. Loved it. Loved it. Being a dad is awesome fun. Don't rob it of fatherhood. This is Father's Day. Reset your cycle and go, you know what? Being a mom is, is amazing, but being a dad is just as cool. Secondly, what good is it being a father? It's a lot of responsibility, and that's a good thing. From the moment that God told Abraham that he was going to be a father, Abram had a new purpose. Do you know he already was a wealthy landowner, an operator of, huge of a huge cattle farm. He had 318 full-time employees working for him. I mean, management. He's a smart guy. He already was a husband to a great woman, but now his entire purpose has changed. He's a dad. And I have found that instead of a man striving to be a professional athlete, when he finds out that he's going to be a dad, he aims to join a company and be part of the management. Instead of pursuing a singing or acting career, he buys health insurance. Instead of wanting to be a famous astronaut, he dreams of raising one. This is what growing up looks like. It's a man dying to self so he can invest in others. <clears throat> Responsibility is a good thing. It is a grown-up thing. No Folks, listen to me. No one else is responsible for your family but you and your wife. And it is great when men become responsible. I mean where they stop playing the Xbox, where they stop living in la-la land while mom's carrying all of the weight, and they say, you know what? I'm a dad. I have a responsibility. And let me tell you, gentlemen, it is great. It's the hardest work you'll ever do, but the most rewarding. Being a dad, secondly, means this, assuming the care of a tiny, vulnerable, and almost constantly needy person and is the ultimate responsibility for a man and his wife and then some. That's what it means to be a dad, taking responsibility. So gentlemen, those of us who are dads, the moment we found out that we were going to be a father, all of a sudden we mattered. We were important. We needed to be there at home. We needed to help. We needed to work. So take charge. Go back to Genesis chapter 18 and verse 9. <clears throat> Genesis 18 and verse 9. I said 18. 19. 18, 19. Thank you. So go back to verse 18. This is, well, verse 17 will tell you who's talking. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed of him, for I know him that he will suggest to his children, and his, is that what it says? Key word there. 
He will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. To be responsible means you've got to take charge. That's why I tell young ladies, and I try to talk to everybody who comes to me and says, I think I'm in love. You know what I first do? I try to talk you out of it. <laughs> not that I don't think you're in love, and not that I don't think you ought to get married. But ladies, you need to be careful who you marry because you're saying to the world that this is going to be the head of our home. This is going to be the man that I trust and I'm determined to work with him to succeed by God's grace. <clears throat> by the way, the kids know the difference between mom and dad. Dad comes home. I don't know if this is true in your home, but it's kind of true in my home. It's been true when I was growing up. Dad would come home and the kids are kind of all in a tiff and mom's all frazzled and there's... there's uh, you know, uh, there's been battles and war, and the dad comes in, and the mom says, I can't get these kids to obey. And the dad goes, what? And all the kids go, Amen. yeah. Yeah, man. You know, just by the look on dad's face or the snap of his finger, he can take control. Hey, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about fierce wrath, but stern firmness that moms don't normally have, and I shouldn't think they want to have. Goodness. Abraham had the ability to command his children, and they obeyed. Mom, don't fight that. Don't fight the fact that dad's trying to take control of, of what could be a nightmare future. Use your, dad, use your husband's authority for your kids' sake. Balance it out, yes. Sometimes you need to come in there and show mercy. They're gonna, he's going to kill the kids, and you've got to save them. Amen. I know how it works. But you know I'm joking, but hold on. <clears throat> Bounce it out, but let dad be dad. We need a listen, I don't care what the rest of the world's doing. I don't care what Hollywood's showing. I don't care what the newspapers say or the magazines. I care what the Bible says. And the Bible says, Dad, you're in charge. Well, my wife won't let me be in charge. <laughs> well, then, good riddance. <clears throat> Just flush the toilet and go down. Also, be the main provider. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Right before Hebrews, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. Be the main provider. Ladies, you can probably make more money than some of your husbands. And you probably do all the things he does much better, no question. But is that what you really want? Is that how God designed things? Whatever a man thinks his life purpose is, this is, this is clear. You are called to be the provider of your family. Now, I'm not afraid to say it. It is super important that men rise up to the level of I'm not going to compete with my wife, but I am going to make sure the bills are paid on my back, not hers. Amen, amen, and amen. There are some deadbeat, there are thousands and tens of thousands of deadbeat guys who only drink, who only know how to have fun, who only live for themselves, and you're married to them. And you yearn, would he ever get a job that pays the bill so I don't have to? Amen. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially those of his own house, he's gone and denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. He's worse than a Bible rejecter. You need to provide for your own family. <clears throat> One of the most God-glorifying pictures of the gospel 
is when a man has all his dreams and he lays them aside. He has all his plans, everything he's prepared for, and he steps up to the plate of responsibility. He gets a job, and he valiantly cares for his family to the loss of all of his plans and dreams. Amen. Too many men seek their favorite dream job instead of a family. I've noticed that today. Man, when I was... Uh, uh, my parents split when I was 12 years old. You'd think I'd be scarred for life. I'd never want to be around a woman or try to have a marriage. You know what I wanted? A wife, a family. My wife, when we were courting, we're sitting there across one day. We were, I don't know what we were having. We were eating something and, uh, at, the, at the college cafeteria. And out of her lips came this dumb, dumb, dumb question. So how many kids do you want to have? I hadn't a clue. I said, oh, it'll be enough. <laughs> Honey, you all right? <laughs> Literally, I said, eight will be enough. Now, we only had five, but here's the point. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to be married. Still want to, remember? Most people want to have their dream job, and so you find countless millions of unmarried, uncommitted, some 20-somethings, am I talking about you? Who are constantly unhappy with their jobs and their lives and their life plans. I'm so disappointed. Get your wife. She won't let you be disappointed. I'm sorry. <laughs> She'll keep you busy. Be the main provider. Thirdly, taking responsibility means protecting your family at all times. Eric's got that one illustration of him. All the other times, she goes out with a baseball bat and tries to protect the family, and he one time runs into danger. <laughs> so he tells that one story. Get another story, brothers, all I say. All right. <laughs> Ladies, do not sit here and tell me how well you can raise your children just fine without your husband. Don't you dare. You may have to go it all alone. But God designed the two of you to raise that kid. God designed the two of you, and especially him, to protect that child until they can stand for themselves. They can have their own family. Gentlemen, if you're a husband, you have the responsibility to protect your wife and your children from bullies. You have your, the, the, the responsibility to protect your children from whatever evil is coming up out of, this, out of this modern world. Protect them from what's coming off the sewer in your television. You have the responsibility to protect your children. Amen. That is your job. Say, well, my wife doesn't let me change the channel. There is a way to make it so the channel doesn't need to be changed. Scissors and <clears throat> cutting that wire. Abraham did just that and more. Do you know, I mean, we don't have the time. I, there's a lot of illustrations here. Abraham's got a nephew named Lot, and Lot was so backslidden. Lot is just, just the worst kind of family member. Everybody's got an uncle like Lot. But Lot got himself in trouble. And you know what Abraham did? He says he's family. And you know what Abraham did? He got all 318 of his servants. He says, guys, get your swords. We're going to get him back. That's a protector. That's somebody who doesn't care about his life. I tell you about the time, I mean, Eric knows my stories, where we first came to Ireland and we're sitting there in our house. We, we bought our house three minutes away here, you know. <clears throat> we got our kids all in their beds and it's nighttime and we just lay down and then there's a... And it sounds like it's downstairs. So I'm already asleep. It doesn't take me 36 seconds to go to sleep. And... <clears throat> Somebody downstairs. What, what, what do you want me to do? 
So my wife got me a baseball bat, and I know exactly what to do now. <laughs> you know, every time you meet a Christian father, I pray that the world once again sees strength, and they can sense protection in that person. Not anger, not wrath, not bully, but strength and protection. Another thing that's very important in responsibility is carrying the burdens. You wouldn't respect fatherhood if it didn't take so much work, gentlemen. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it does take a lot of work. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. Our work as fathers has to be worked on and made part of our everyday schedule. That's why God said and made a commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. Six six says this. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Spoken to the fathers. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, dad, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, always in front of you, always at right at the hands touch. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house. Put scripture uh, on, on, on the walls of your house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou biddlest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. What was the danger was that God blessed Abraham's family and his seed in Israel, so much so that they forgot the necessary burden of passing on a walk with God, passing on a sense of thankfulness and gratefulness for everything they've got. You know whose burden that rests on? Whose back does that rest upon? Who's supposed to make sure the house has a spirit of grace, has a spirit of, of, of godliness? Dad. It takes work training our children to do right. It takes, takes work to teach our children to love God. It takes a lot of work to teach them to know the God who made them to obey God and do things the right way, to never grow out of God, to never forget. So you know what happens? We get kids over there in, in children's church, and they're like, wow, wow, as they learn the Bible and as they learn about the, 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 the plans of God and the work of God and the will of God and, and the people of God and all the history here and all of the, the, um, uh, uh, the wonders of, of our God. And they learn about it, and then they turn... 13, 14, 15, and then something happens, and they forget. You know who's to blame? Mom and dad. But you know who's going to have to give an account one day? Dad. Dad. <clears throat> but it is super, su oh, let me, well, it is super rewarding to see biblical training work. Let me give you an example. It is so rewarding when we see young men stay clear of drink and cigarettes and hash and heroin. Amen. It's absolutely wonderful to hear that somebody never picks up something like that. It is great when you hear 
of young men as they develop into strong men of character and honesty and hard work and clean consciences and lives lived in service to others instead of for self. We live in the most selfish age ever. And as we hear of young ladies and we watch them as they wait for their marriage day before they throw themselves into the arms of a lover, may your lover, young ladies, be your future husband on the day that you get married. Being a dad means investing in an unseen future for our children that we may never see fulfilled, but we know it'll be worth it all. We just invest. That's why children look up to us. They look up to us because we have that influence. We are an example of everything that is good. Our children learn what is good from us, and oh, how awful it is when we don't teach them what is good. Your influence in your home as the leader, the commander, the captain, the general, the head, is very important because that's how they will have home in the future. Is that what you want? Do you want them to have the same as you've got? Or are you really ashamed? Like I find myself sometimes. <clears throat> I didn't, when I fell in love with Nita, and I started thinking about marrying her. <clears throat> Trying not to be embarrassing, don't worry. I know, I know. <clears throat> I had to ask myself over and over and over, am I going to be better at this than my dad? And my dad quit after 21 years. And I asked myself over and over, how am I going to be different? I've got, there's no, I did not, my dad never once took my mom out for a cup of coffee and a piece of pie. I never saw him and my mom hold hands until they were getting ready to get a divorce and they were trying some counseling and it wasn't working. It was the only time I ever remember them holding hands. How am I going to do this? I don't have an example. It takes work. I, I gotta, your kids are looking up to you and say, Dad, how do you love? Oh, like you love Mommy. How do you fight? Oh, like mommy fights you. No. <laughs> How do we have home? Dad will show it. Ought to. Ought to. Folks, let me be real clean. Don't keep allowing the state to take over all of these responsibility. Don't let them tell you what is acceptable in your home and what is not acceptable in your home. Do not let them be the ones that provide you with the welfare and with the housing and everything. Don't allow the state to come along and be your protectorate and tell you you don't need to protect. We'll be there in 20 minutes. <laughs> if, uh, if somebody breaks into your house, boy, you better be ready yourself. Because guard taking 20 minutes can be 19 and a half minutes too long. What good is it being a father? Well, let me be real honest with you. All the, lot, all the ups and downs and the failures make it good. How do I mean by that? Well, Abram failed a lot. As much as Abraham was a great man of faith and had great trust in God, and he's known as a great friend of God, he was also a great failure as a man and even a dad. Don't look surprised. This is why I love the Bible, because it tells the truth. It's a real book. See, Abraham failed to believe God always. Yes, he was a man of faith, but he doubted God several times. When times got a little tough, God said, I want you in the promised land. And then all of a sudden, all the, all the Tesco's were closing. And the centras were out of milk. And the spars were gone. And the, and, and, and the, the bread was sold out. And he said, 
we got to get out of here. And God, who had promised to take care of him, no matter what happens, was not big enough that day. And he grabbed his wife, and they headed down to Egypt. Boy, was that a big mistake. They didn't always find it easy to believe God. You know, his backslidden nephew Lot and him got along fine. So one day God started up so bad that Abraham says, we got to split up, which was of God, folks. But he tried to stay in a backslidden relationship with Lot after God told him to leave him. He laughed at God for promising him a son again after, uh, and again and again. For 25 years, he laughed and said, this can't be. Go to chapter 18, back there in Genesis chapter 18. In verse 9, <clears throat> he said unto him, where is, this is a couple of angels there, and they said unto him, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, oh, behold, she's over in the tent. <laughs> and he said, well, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. Now remember, we already read this, and Sarah heard it and was in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well-stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being, or Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore didst thou laugh? Did Sarah laugh, saying, Sure shall I have a surety bear a child when, uh, which am old? i got to find out where I want to go here with my thought. Verse down to 15. Is anything too hard for the Lord? As the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Both Sarah and Abraham found themselves laughing and laughing and laughing at God, and he failed at believing God. He not only failed at believing he failed to protect his wife. This is quite humorous and it's sad. Look at chapter 12 and verse 13. 12 and 13. <clears throat> I'll start there in verse 10. And there was a famine in the land. 12:10. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. And the famine was grievous in the land. That's telling you it was hard. And it was very hard for Abraham to trust God. It would have been hard for us too. <laughs> it came to pass when he was come near to enter down into Egypt that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold now, <coughs> I know that thou art a fair woman, a ninety... Well, here, she's... Uh, seven, how old is she? She's seven, 65 years old. So she's a 65-year-old knockout. <coughs> she said, he said, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they're going to say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. And they'll save thee alive, say, say thee alive. Say, I, will pr I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with who? So that, I, that I'll be okay for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. You know what he was doing? He was looking out for himself. Now, no husband here ever has done that. No husband ever has just left his wife to just carry a burden that she didn't need because he was more worried about his skin or his tiredness or anything like that. Look at chapter 20 and verse 2. Genesis chapter 20 and verse 2. <clears throat> Start in verse 1. And again, another time, Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in a place called Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, to everybody, he said, oh, this is my sister. 
You know, you think, I mean, this is 20 years later, and you think he would have learned. He didn't need to do that, but he is not a perfect husband, ladies. He had a good wife. He had a good wife. He failed to protect her. He worried more about his own skin than the safety of his wife on two different occasions. You know what? It gets worse. He actually allowed another woman named Hagar into his bed. You're going to call Abraham a saint? No, he's a sinner saved by grace just like you and me. He, um, he had to walk away from an, a son named Ishmael because of his own sins of not trusting God and not doing things God's way. He loved Ishmael, but he had to walk away from it because that was not God's will. And there are plenty of men in this room and plenty of Christian men who made such mistakes in their life. And they don't know how to walk away. They don't know how to go forward. They're just trapped. I understand all that. But God put on Abraham a responsibility of owning up to the fact he did something wrong with Hagar and Ishmael. And that was hard. He failed. <clears throat> Father Abraham was a failure in so many ways. Don't you tell me you're the worst failure, gentlemen. And ladies, stop thinking your husband's the worst too. All men are failures. I'm supposed to get an amen out of that. Do you know, you know what that means? It means we all need to get born again. There's not a man in this room. If you're not saved, you, need, you are never going to be good enough. Uh, you're never going to make it. You're going to hit rock bottom one day. We all need to get born again. And we all, listen, we all usually need to get married because we're failures. You know, women, you got married because you thought he was going to be your prince, charming. He was going to make your life. You didn't realize he was going to take work. You didn't realize he was a mess. And you're going to have to get a shovel, not to bury him, but to help him. If it weren't for our humanity constantly getting in the way, being a dad would have no sorrow in it at all. But it is in the failures that we can always choose to get right and we begin to need God, which leads to my next point. You see, having a child proves that God delights in giving us another chance as long as we look at it right. Let me go to my next point, which is it creates a great need for God. Genesis 22. Genesis chapter 22 one of the most amazing portions of Scripture that point to God the Father giving His own Son, Jesus, and sacrificing Him for us, letting Him die in our place, is, is typified here in chapter 22. With all of the thoughts that are in Genesis 22, the greatest thing I want you to understand is Abraham's need for God. Let me say this. Before we read here, having children will drive you to your knees like nothing else. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Do you think Abraham breathed for about two minutes? And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place in which God had told him. And then on the third day they traveled for three days. I don't think they probably talked at all. Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, the servants that were with him, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and somehow we're going to come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went forth, both of them together, 
And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, uh, Daddy, <laughs> my father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, I see the fire. Hey, I'm carrying the wood. Where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went on, both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid it on the altar upon that wood. Let me give you the picture. Did Abraham actually end up killing his son, yes or no? No. God said, Abraham, you trust me. You literally trust me enough that when I ask you to do what you could never do and would never think of doing, and that would be the most impossible thing for you to do, you're willing to do it because I asked you. I'm not going to ask you to kill your son. I wouldn't. But with a wink and a nod, God was pointing to the future where God himself would offer his son. And you know that story on the cross. But here's the point. What is the picture? Well, the picture is Abraham's got his son. And he sees the will of God, and the will of God is, is hard. The will of God is to let go of his son. The will of God is, is to trust his son into the hands of a loving father, God the Father. Abraham, I don't doubt, was probably trying to be the best father he could be. But at some point, Dad, you're going to have a problem. You're going to have a battle. You're going to have a dilemma. You're going to have a pit from which you're going to reach in and try to fix things, and you're going to have to lift it up and have to trust God even if it costs you everything. And that's what Abraham's teaching us, is that our children ought to drive us to our knees where we learn to say, Lord, I can't carry them anymore. I can't handle this problem anymore. I thought I could be a great dad. I thought I could be a great husband. I thought things were going to go fine. I thought I was good. I thought I was enough. And I'm not. God, here, help me. Amen. Having a child will drive you to your knees. You know, you have your first son. I mean, I've had five. You know what? When we had Sarah, our firstborn, I'm telling you, she was like, uh, uh, she was so good. Easy to program. I'm uh, a train. I mean, she was smart. She was obedient most of the time. But I'm telling you, as soon as Joel comes, we got this new kid, I'm going... All we got to do is treat Joel the same way. Not totally the same way, but Joel, train Joel the same way we did Sarah, Sharon. And you know what? Joel was absolutely opposite. <laughs> then when Joel grows up, we get Ruth. All right, we got two under our belt. This one's going to be easy. No way, Jose. Not figure outable. Then Joshua, happiest kid you ever met. I mean, didn't care about anything. I mean, honestly, every single kid is different. You never get ahead of them. It always drives you to your knees. You always say, Lord, I don't know what to do. And that's a good thing. Oh, that we need some parents who are not so stupid to think they don't need God. You know, when we got married, <laughs> the hardest thing we had to do was say, I do. What you were saying was, you love me, don't you? <laughs> that's all we were saying. Only to find out our wives don't even speak the same language. <laughs> We're not even sure if they're just on the same planet. Honestly, dads think raising children is a breeze. All we do is do your homework, go to bed, eat your veg, and we figure they'll turn out just fine. <laughs> and 
then the battles begin, the emotions flare. We find out what they've gotten into. The sorrows and griefs pile up, and the reaping or the reaping begins. You find yourself staying up all night worrying and panicking and fretting and praying and begging God for help and wisdom and strength and another chance. Being a dad demands dependence upon God. Abraham uh, was the same kind of dad as you and I are. Constantly driven to his knees and absolute dependable. There was no way for Abraham to say to God, God, you want me to take him up there? You want me to give my son back to you? You want me to, to, to put him on an altar? No problem. No way. This was the hardest thing. And he did it by the grace of God. He needed God. And that's a great thing. Let me tell you, being a dad is great because I need God, not because I'm able. Proverbs 17, 9, if you'll go there, being a dad will be worth it all. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. Let me wrap this up here. Proverbs 17, 9. Nope, 19, 17, no. What verse am I thinking of? 17, 6. Ta-da! Children's children are the crown of old men, the reward of old age. Children's children, grandchildren, the reward of old age. And the glory of children are their what? You know what kids like? Now, they love their mom. Do you know what they like? They look up to dad. You heard about the three kids who were sitting there arguing about which of their dad was better, faster, stronger. One kid said, my dad's faster than your other kids. My dad can shoot an arrow and get to the target before the arrow. <laughs> well, one of the other kids says, well, my dad's faster than that. My dad's so fast he can shoot a gun at a target and he can get to the target before the bullet. The other kid said, my dad's got both of you beat. My dad clocks out at four and gets home at three. He works for, this, for, the, for, the, for the government. <laughs> you didn't get that. You know, just being a dad makes kids proud. Honestly. The honor and the glory and the pride of being a dad is not wrong. You say, you're not allowed to be proud as a Christian. Are you stupid? There's nothing more proud than seeing your kid run a race and win. Amen. I mean, and to try it away, there is something, there's not, there is something wonderful about being a dad and the kids looking at dad and going, what do you think, dad? What do you think? And you're going, oh, yeah. There's so many hurting people that came out of broken homes like I did. But just because the devil has wrecked havoc in almost every home represented here today, not one of us have a perfect home. Doesn't mean we ought to throw the glory and the honor of fatherhood out. Hollywood, have you noticed Hollywood honors every other aspect of life except being a dad? You ever notice that? They just don't lift up being a dad. But God honors fatherhood. You know how he does that? Because he's like a father to us. You know what God's favorite title is? Go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6.
Because you're sons, speaking of our new birth, because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. And what is the spirit crying out in us? Abba, Father. Abba is a Middle Eastern term. Our term would be Dada. Okay, really, really awesome. Really theological. You know what God's favorite term is? Call him Daddy. That is such doubt. All right, so um, Bill comes up to me and says, Daddy, I will hit him. I'm not his daddy. Uh, I'm not his father either. Father's one of those respectful terms, but daddy is a term that only a child can say when they crawl up into your lap and go, daddy. And you're able to say that to God the Father. See, God honors fatherhood. Uh, and, he, and, and he honors it by being like a father. Secondly, he made a way for us to be close to him like a child to his father. And God loves being a father. Let me read Psalm 103, 13. Like as a father pitieth his children. Pity there is the right word, meaning <laughs> compassion, having compassion on them. So the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Like a father. Don't leave it up to mom to have pity and compassion and softness. Like a father pities his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Proverbs 3, 12 says, For the, whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. God loves being compared and being a father, we actually pray, our father. Not just our God, our sovereign, our leader. What do we call him? Our father. You know what? He will honor your fatherhood one day. As flawed as it always will be, he will honor fatherhood. One of these days, you're a dad, and those grandkids gather around you, and you have how many? You keep telling me, but I keep forgetting 17 grandkids. I can't imagine what Christmas is like, but I look forward to it. <laughs> amen, amen. He will honor your fatherhood. But I'll say this. You need to let him be yours first. If you want, if you want to be able to say that being a dad is worth it all and actually be good and, and, and actually worth it, you're going to need to let God be your father first. That means being born again all over again on the inside, as Jesus said in John chapter 3. He said, you must be born again. Let me give you some helps on how to enjoy fatherhood. First of all, turn off the TV and try to live in this book for a while. That book, somebody says, I got some kids and they didn't come with a manual. Yes, they did. You've got it in your hand. The reason why we're so ignorant raising kids is because we're reading every book instead of the book. Secondly, repent of believing fatherhood died long ago. Don't believe that it's gone. You know what? If you just start living that book, it'll shine. God doesn't need a lot of people to be a light. All he needs is a few who will say, I'm going to live God's way. And I believe fatherhood will shine like you can't believe. And then decide to follow Abraham's steps. You know what Abraham did? He kept his home fun. Gentlemen, you need to make good memories. You need to go out of your way to do weird things. Amen. Unpred be unpredictable. I mean, pick up mom, swing her around, and let all the kids scream. What's he doing? And she's laughing. Do love your wife in front of your kids. Do not let the television show your kids what love looks like. Amen, amen, and amen. Hug, hold, thank God loudly for your children. Grab one of your kids and hold them and say, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you. This is such a gift. They're going, I can't breathe. But you know what? You'll let them down. They'll smile going, he loves me. 
and make worship with them fun. Don't sit there and go, we're going to church. <laughs> They're going to go, not when I can help it. Secondly, gentlemen, be the man of your home. Be the man. Stop expecting your wife to be strong when God called you to be strong. Be the example of what a dad ought to be. That means you go to bed on time. Amen. Quit sitting up, wait until you're tired. Didn't get any amens on that. So that you can wake up earlier and spend time with God yourself. Carry your load. Make the hard decisions. Be the main provider. Protect your family at all costs. You'll actually find you thoroughly enjoy doing all that. Allow for failures. Don't excuse your failures. But don't die by them either. There's a right balance where Christian men accept failures as we strive to try and depend upon God. We say, I fail, but I'm going to do better. Ladies, I wrote, I wrote this down. If you want your man to be a better husband, allow him to be a failure, try him. Amen. And I remember all 746 failures. That is a hard woman to love. Allow for failures. Depend more and more on God. It ought to show on your face that you just need God. I don't want anybody coming here going, Pastor, I had a great week. I did great. I'm telling you, I'm running because you're about to fall. <laughs> you know what it's like when people come in and they go, I made it to another week. Amen. That's the kind of man I want to serve with. That's the kind of man I want to help. People who just depend on God. They put up with trial. I didn't even talk about the trials, man. I mean, that was a trial that Abraham going through, that testing there. Put up with it. You go through a dark month, a dark year. You go through things, and it feels like it's all gone. Everything died. Let me tell you this. God will get you through. Put up with the trials because it does get gooder and gooder. And then look forward to the glory of children's children. Start believing that God will make Every sacrifice, every heartache, every sleepless night, and every desperate prayer worth it. Psalm 58, verse 11 says, So that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. And you may not see it right now, but you ought to be able to see it soon. Because faith works where we trust that children's children are our reward. Here's the invitation, two thoughts. If you need a good example of a real father... Learn from Abraham. Fourteen chapters are dedicated to him intensely in Genesis alone. But if you need a perfect father, look to Jesus. He made a way for anybody to get born again into the very family of God. Got to admit, admit defeat. You know, we need some dads who finally say, I am a mess. You know what your problem is? You don't want your wife to hear that. <laughs> First thing that's the best way to get saved and to get God as your father and not your enemy is to admit defeat. Admit that he wins, you can't do it anymore. Secondly, by accepting all the efforts of Jesus is enough for you to be forgiven and start over with. You know, everything Jesus went through is to say, I can start over with you. I, I can, I, there, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, I ask you, God, that on this Father's Day, 2018, we would realize it is great being a father. We would honor fatherhood, not just the men in our lives. I have a dad I love and I, I respect.
and I miss. But I don't just honor my dad. I honor fatherhood. I believe in it. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a better granddad. I want to invest in, in little people who grow up one day and will have needed a good example. Lord, I pray that we take that very seriously, that on a day like today, it's a good thing to be reminded that fatherhood is needed, good, godly fatherhood. Thank you for being our Father. In Jesus' name, amen.